Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Today, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll get there in just a few minutes, but Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read about 18 to 24, those verses right there. And today, I'm going to start a series called Koinonia, and uh, it's really God's idea of community. And I, I don't know if you don't know, like, how many of you are familiar with that word? Just let me see your hand if you are familiar. So about half of the group is familiar and half are not familiar. So that's, that's good. So the half that do know about koinonia, y'all don't shut me off and just go, yeah, I got this, you know. Pay attention because God might teach you some, something new. So koinonia, it's really about community that's made in the image of God. And this is what really koinonia means. Koinonia is a Greek word. And it's used for several different types of, of uh, words. It means fellowship. It means covenant relationship, um, community. It means contribution or participation. And so throughout scripture, we'll read those words in English. But, you know, the scripture was written in either Hebrew or Greek. And so you and I are reading the English version of that. And so don't get hung up. People get all hung up and bent out of shape over like, you know, what version's the best. Listen, can I just tell you? Every version of the Bible, every translation of the Bible is not completely accurate. Oh, Pastor Rife, that freaks me out. No, listen, you understand their translations. If you know anything about uh, language, like Shay and I, Shay mainly, has taught English to Hispanic students. That's her job, not now, but that was her job. And so it's a lot of times when you're translating from Spanish to English or vice versa, you talk in concepts. You don't translate every word. That's, I'm a very literal person a lot of times, and that's why learning Spanish is so hard for me because I'm wanting to translate every word. They're saying, <clears throat> they don't do that. They just they just translate thoughts, concepts. And so when we look at scripture, we're looking at scripture and we understand that this is a translation. And for us to get to the actual scripture, we would have to be reading it in either Greek or Hebrew. And I'm not sure we have any Greek or Hebrew readers in here. There, there might be. I, I opted out of those classes in uh, college. <clears throat> I got the cheap version of the degree. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, give me the BS because the BA, uh, it was way too hard for me. And I, I had my friends crying uh, over their Greek classes. And I said, yeah, no, thank you. Um, and 
I didn't know that the internet, see, I went to school when the internet wasn't invented. I mean, it, it existed for the military, but the public did not have access to the internet. But I, but I, I held out, and now I can, anytime I want to learn something in Greek, I just pop over there to blueletterbible.org, and I get that strong concordance, and I can learn all of that, and I can be talking about it. And if I didn't tell people my secrets, my trade secrets, they'd think I'm some Greek genius or something. But I can't do that. My conscience won't let me. Koinonia, anytime we read these particular words, and those are all the words up on the screen, but anytime we, we read those words in Scripture, many times, not always, many times, it's talking about the Greek word koinonia. So koinonia is one of those things that really we kind of translated a lot of times as fellowship. And used to, I, I got to a place in my life where I hated that word fellowship. I've been in church since I was 15 and, you know, it just kind of uh, sounded old fashioned. Like we're going to go fellowship today after church with the old people, you know, that just sounds like something old people would say, you know, we're just going to go fellowship. We had some good fellowship last night at the women's meeting, you know, just, it just sounded kind of old fashioned, but as I got older and more mature, no pun intended, but as I got older and more mature, I'm like, you know, we ain't got to soup scripture up. If it says fellowship, then say fellowship, you know. If it says elder, say elder. I used to be like, we ain't having no elders in our church. I mean, we're going to have them, but we ain't calling them elders, because every elder that I met was like a son of Satan, you know. I'm just being honest with you. Like every elder that I ever met was terrible example of Christianity. And they really wasn't leaders. They were manipulative, power hungry, wanted to run everything. Had, most of them had Jezebel spirits. And I'm like, we ain't having that. And I'm like, but we got to have leadership because the Bible says you need that. But we're going to soup it up. We're going to call them something different. As I matured in the faith, I'm like, why, why, why are we going to let the devil mess godly things up and just throw it out? Like, no, we need to reclaim it. And we need to reclaim what a godly elder is. And we, we stick with that. And so anyway... Fellowship for us means koinonia, uh, or koinonia means fellowship. And so when we first really start finding out koinonia and God's idea about koinonia, we see it in Genesis chapter 1. Now, in a minute, I'm going to read from chapter 2. But right now, just for the sake of showing you where we first start seeing community, fellowship, relationship, we see it right here. And I want to just be... Like, let me read it slow so that we can kind of go through it a little bit. Then God said, let us. You already see it. You already see koinonia, community, fellowship. God said, let us. Let who? Like, there's more. There's, there's, there's more? Like, no, there's not more gods. It's that beautiful thing of God's triune spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So they're having this cosmic, you know, supernatural conversation among themselves. And I, I don't fully understand that. You, you understand, 
is, bear with me a second. You understand that we cannot limit God to our vocabulary. And we also cannot limit God to our understanding. And I'm going to tell you, I have tried to explain the Trinity and it cannot be done. You can, listen, I can bring out all kinds of little object illustrations and we do that for children sometimes and sometimes I do it for adults. But at some point, it only goes so far. It breaks down. And I do not understand how there can be one God, but he exists as three in one. It doesn't make sense. It sounds illogical. And one day I got the nerve in one of my seminary classes to raise my hand in systematic theology. And I said, Professor Bowden, that sounds illogical to me. And I said, it's just irrational. It doesn't make sense. Excuse me. I said, it doesn't make sense. It sounds irrational. And he said, no, you're confusing irrational with non-rational. He said, irrational is crazy. Non-rational is it's outside of your ability to rationalize it. Don't try to dumb God down to your understanding. You pull yourself up to his understanding. And so here we are. We already see God living out koinonia. And then God said, let us make man, human beings in our image to be like us. So, you know, we're in his image. There's a likeness about God that you and I are supposed to live out. And he said, this is what they're going to do. They're going to reign over all the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, livestock, all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's a whole counterculture sermon right there. I didn't say it. God determines. There ain't. Yeah. All right. I don't even. Let me just go. I'm on, I need to go on. I need to get off of it. God designed us for fellowship. We just read it. God designed us. He created us in his image. What's his image? Perfect unity among the Godhead. We call the Godhead the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He made us in that image that we are to be in relationship like that. And he designed us for fellowship. And so I want right now for us to go to Genesis chapter 2 because in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see where he forms uh, man and then he forms woman. And out of that, we're going to see some things about what koinonia really begins to look like for us. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Are you there? All right, I'm reading out a New Living Translation. Yours might be a little different uh, from mine. But then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. All right, I'm just going to stop and talk through some of this with you. It's okay to write in your Bible. I would encourage you to do that. Circle it, you know, just make notes, whatever. It's okay. 
So God said, it's not good that man's alone. He created man and then he's there by himself. And before I matured and, and began to understand scripture, I would read scripture so literally and I'm like, oh, God was kind of sad. He made man and then he's like, oh, I didn't think about what well, I'm, he, he's lonely. He don't have anybody to talk to. And I thought, oh, God, how, but how does God make mistakes like that? Listen, God never made a mistake when he created man. He was going to make woman all along. When he looked at that, that's not, an observa that's not an observation that God is making. Oh, I created man. Doggone it. I should have thought about the woman. No, it wasn't that. God is making a declaration. He's saying, hey, it's not good that man should be alone. That's never my intent. That's not how I create it. I created God for fellowship. I created God for community. I created God to be in koinonia like us in our image. And so it says that I will make a helper who is just right for him. Some of your versions may say, I'll make a helper who is suitable for him. Circle the word helper. Now, if you, if you look over in the New Testament and Jesus is going away, all right, he's going away to prepare a place. In other words, he's ascending after the resurrection. He's going away. What does he tell the people? He said, listen, I'm going away, but it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to send, the Father is going to send another what? Helper. Helper. A paraclete is the Greek word for that. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's like, I'm going to send another helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit that is going to come. All right, now let's go back to Genesis. Isn't that beautiful? He created us in his image. He's going to create a helper for man. And over here, he's going to send a helper for man. I don't know about y'all, but that gets me excited. All right. So he says, I'm going to make a helper, but I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for him. You know what suitable is, right? It fits all the, you know, tick boxes. You just go down and it's like tick, 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 check, 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 all of them. He said, I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. And so the Lord God formed all, from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. Now, I could have left that out, but I, I just wanted to go ahead and read through that. In other words, there's a time he created man, then he created all of these animals, those animals, listen, dog can be your best friend, you know, dog, what's man's best friend, a dog, listen, I, I got it, I get it, I had an animal, you know, all that stuff, but listen, there is a helper that is suitable for you, and it ain't any of that, and the Lord is looking at this, and, and he's saying, listen, I'm working on this, because you know, women, they special, like, you know, you want to take your time. See, God he ain't rushing that. Some of these men out there that y'all rushing into it, y'all getting yourself in some trouble. Mm -hmm. Y'all getting in some trouble because you rush in that thing. God is like, listen, I'm going to get to the woman, but I'm taking my time designing her. Like, 
She's going to be awesome. She's going to be fine. She's going to be the right thing. She's going to fit everything. She's going to be comparable to you. She's going to be suitable. She's going to fit all the, you know, the boxes. And so finally he comes along and he creates woman. And so look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God, and this is important, took out one of the man's ribs. So where did the woman come from? Out of man. So, uh, so in a sense, think about this. I don't know if y'all's brain thinks this way, but in a sense, man gave birth to woman. Stick with me. Don't go. Don't don't get all crazy. But the enemy will take the word and make it crazy because now men are starting. To, have y'all seen the pregnant man? Like literally they're genetically altering man's body that a man can carry a baby. The enemy will take the word of God and twist it and pervert it. But in a sense, man birthed woman. Actually, God did it, but he took a rib out of man. And that's important for us uh, in, in a little bit later. And so he closed up the opening and the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought, and brought her to man. And he said, at last, this one is bone of my bone. It's flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And verse 24 says, this explains, what explains? That whole deal. Like we can't just brush over that. There's so much prophetic stuff right there that like maybe I'll preach on another day. But there's so much prophetic stuff right there. And we can't take that for granted, the fact that God performed the first surgery. He reached into his side, pulled out that rib, created a woman for it, and then brought it back to man. We can't take that for granted. And the scripture says that explains why a man <clears throat> leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Right there, I could spend time preaching on that. The world has made nakedness and all of that, you know, into something perverted. And God never intended that. But if you look at this, like they were, they were naked and they did not feel ashamed. In other words, in community, when you're in community, like if we're in community, we should be able, listen, I, I ain't trying, this is not trying to be funny. And a lot of times people, because they're so, you know, whatever with the, their thinking, they, they'll miss the spiritual part of this. We should be able to be naked with each other and not be ashamed. Pastor Rife, what does that mean? You're smart. You know what I mean by that. We should be able to have no covering, no hypocrisy, no falsehood among us, no covering. See, they were naked and only when they sinned did shame come in. And what did they do? The first thing they did was they went and hid and sewed some fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness. Listen, Come on, man, if you will get this in your spirit, when we mess up in the church, the first thing we want to do is run and hide. <clears throat> 
The second thing we want to do is we want to try to cover our nakedness with our pride or, 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 or shame or whatever. We want to clothe, clothe that. And what does that do? That takes you out of community, out of koinonia, if you will. And the scripture says that was never God's intention that we are supposed to be able to be naked and ashamed. In other words, completely transparent with each other. I'm telling you what, the church, like most of the time, I get tired. I've just grown tired of it. And I'm trying not to let it jade me as a leader, but I get tired of seeing when the church gets it wrong and nobody is willing to work through it. Why? Because it's, e it's so easy to just pick up my anchor, go down the street, and I'll plop it somewhere because none of these folks know me. But it won't be but a matter of time until they do because we got to deal with stuff. Like, why won't we deal with stuff? Why will we not deal with stuff? And from the spiritual, like the spiritual leader standpoint to the person sitting in the seat, like when we mess up, there has to be a place where we can say, we love you. Don't let shame get a hold of you. Don't separate yourself from the community of faith. Don't, don't go there. Like, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be nasty. But we will work through it. We will work through it. I've said that multiple times. And I've watched the taillights drive off into the distance. Because people were not willing to do it. If we never show the world how it looks when we get it wrong, then how can we prove what we say is true? Are you following me? Because our mission at, at Destiny Church, we say it like this, and really the mission Every church has the same mission. They all say it differently, but this is how we say it. Our mission here is just to love God and love people. And then we have this cool little part at the end that says, and prove it. Love God, love people, prove it. Because listen, you can talk about loving God all day long, but until you, until you prove it with actions, mm-hmm, if we don't ever let people see when it goes wrong, what it looks like for that kind of faith and love and, and uh, you know, culture to work through it, how are they ever going to know? Because I'm telling you, there are people that they just don't trust the church. I get it. I've been butt hurt in church too. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. We all been hurt. Let's get the shirt and move on. We've all been hurt, but guess what? I've been hurt by people outside the church. I've been hurt at people at my places of employment that wasn't the church, you know? We've all been there, but you don't give up on those places. You move through it and you go, well, this is how we dealt with that. Why? Because God created us for community. He created us for fellowship. Listen, I don't mean that that is God's wish for us. That's not God's wish. Like he created us and like, well, I hope they get along. I, 
I hope they get do stuff together. No, you were created and I was created for it. That would be like you having a blender. Like you ever seen some of those really high class blenders? You know, it's like well, maybe a mixer is what I'm talking about. And it's like it goes around like this. You know, I mean, it's a high class one. What if you had something like that, but you just used it to keep your peaches and bananas in? Like a, fr no, what are you thinking? You spent, you know, $900 on that. You're, it's not being used for what it was intended to. This is how God created us. He didn't create us and go, well, I, I hope they enjoy community. No, he created us for it. And when we are not in koinonia, if we are not living that out, we are not living to the design that God created us for. And everything flows out of that. Everything flows out of our relationship with one another. So I want you to look at this. So God created us to do these things, community, fellowship, Koinonia does this for us. When we are in community with one another, we complement one another. Now, I'm not talking about compliment with the eye, like, oh, that's a beautiful outfit you have on today. That's a compliment. But when he said, I'm going to build a woman, a helper, suitable for him. He was talking about, I'm going to build a helper that complements him. In other words, all of the inadequacies that he has, she's going to have the opposite of that. And when they fit together, it's just going to be perfect. I'm telling you what, Shay and I, we are so different in so many ways. In areas where I'm weak, she's strong. In areas where she's strong, uh, you know, I'm weak. Areas that I'm weak, uh, uh, strong, she's weak. And you know what I'm, I'm getting. She's already over there correcting me. See, she's, <laughs> she's complimenting me. But she, she's so good at that. Like, I couldn't find my errors. I, you know, I'll be writing something. It'll look like I got a third grade education. And she's like, you need to fix your Facebook post because it needs a semicolon and two, you know, uh, you, you use an infinitive and you never end a sentence with with and, you know, all that. I'm like, my God, woman, it's just Facebook. <laughs> but she compliments me. But I tell you what, when I need her in a professional sense, that's who I go to because, you know, she reads that thing like a paralegal or a lawyer or something. So she completes me. And in community, as far as like this, we complement one another. Like there's going to be things that uh, I'm not good at, but man, there are people in this church that you're good at. There's people that uh, you, I might not be good at like certain administrative things, but I'm really good at like one-on-one -on -one type stuff. And then I look at some people and I go, oh, they, they, they're good at a one-on-one -on -one level that I, I can't even touch that. And so community, koinonia, brings people together that complement one another. And this is the goal of complementing. It's to bring completion. Like, when we are in community, you complete me. That's a famous movie line, isn't it? I think it is. Like, that's a famous, one of those, you know, girl comedy, rom-com things. You complete me. No, we really do. Eve completed him. 
when we are in this relationship, you complete the church. Like there's something in you. Who did he create? He created a helper. You're a helper. When you're in community with folks, and I, think bigger than a church context, when you're in community at your business, you complete that business. You complement it, but you also complete it. There, there's, there's a part of you that you come into that place and you are the helper, your Holy Spirit that day. You are the helper in that place of business. You're not there just to, oh, I'm good at numbers, so I'll do all this stock work. That's fine, but that's the natural. But you also have a supernatural role there. What are you doing in your supernatural role? Because when you're in koinonia, you're going to be operating in those two roles. You're going to be operating in the natural, but you're also going to be operating in the supernatural. And if you're not there yet, you'll get there. Because it took me a while for me to understand. God, when we started the church, I worked in uh, Somerdale School. And I'm like, God, how in the world? I, I, I don't know how to be supernatural in this environment. And, you know, y'all you, have heard me tell this story some, uh, some uh, years ago. And, you know, I'm seminary educated. I'm, you know, I've been at churches larger than this on staff. I'm not trying to praise myself. I'm just giving you an idea of where I'm fixing to go. And I find myself squatting down in one of those little kindergarten chairs, cutting out kitty cats. <laughs> cutting out kitty cats. God, what is going on? I'm just squatting and cutting, squatting and cutting. And I'm like, you know, and so I'm like, God, what, what, what am I doing here? And God said, I put you in this community because You've been in that community so long that you forgot what this community is supposed to be like. And I'm telling you what, we can get so focused in the church world that we forget how to be Jesus out there. And we come to church and we, oh, it's easy to be Jesus up in here. Because when you ain't, it sticks out like a sore thumb, you know. But out there, we forget how to be Jesus out there. And so there were, there. I'm telling you what, there were I, we don't have enough time for me to tell you different opportunities that would come to me that I could be Jesus. Shay, I don't remember where it was or how the conversation went, but there was this young boy, and his name was Jairo, and a little Hispanic guy, and he's in my group. Remember him? And I don't remember, but... Oh, I, I had left the school. Like I had worked there for three years, but I had moved from there and I was working full-time at the church. And so Shay calls me and she's like, hey, um, I got Jairo in the office with me and he's just having some difficulty. I don't know what they were. He was acting out or something. And I'm like, I'm at church. I'm, I'm about the father's business. Woman, what you doing? Calling me and Jairo, like, you know, the little kid that was in my classes. And she's like, yeah, I need you to talk to him. And hello, you know, he's, hey, Mr. Stewart. And I hear his little voice on the other end. And I don't know, he must have been about the fifth, maybe sixth grade about that time. And he was acting out and whatever. And I just spoke to him like a father. 
You see, isn't that beautiful? He created us in his image. And I'm just being a father to Hiro. He just needs somebody to jerk a knot in his tail. And I said, very simple, very, very loving. I said, hey, buddy. I said, Miss Stewart tells me that, you know, such and such, so what's going on. And I said, hey, you know that your mom and dad went through a lot to get into this country, right? Like, you know what it took for them to immigrate here. You know what they sacrificed. You know how hard your dad's working to make sure that you get a good education. So you need to study. You need, like, you, God has called you to something bigger than just to work at McDonald's. And if you work at McDonald's, I don't have, you know, I'm not trying to cast any shade on you. But I said, God has created you to work bigger and do bigger things. And I said, you're going to go to school. You're going to get your education. We need to find out what little Hiro is doing. He's probably a big boy now. But I could just, (laughs) you know, I could just hear him. He was just so soft. And every now and then I could hear a little. And I'm like, I don't know what this kid's doing. And then Shay gets on the phone and she's like, what did you say to him? (laughs) And I said, I just told him they parents you know, had to swim across the Rio Grande to get here. And, you know, they went through all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, they went through a lot to get here. He needs to honor their sacrifice. And she's like, he is bawling. Like he is just weeping. And she's like, are you sure you weren't mean to him? And I said, I just was being a gentle dad to him. But what happened is it got to his heart, you know? And what, what it did is like that was the Lord giving me an opportunity to compliment Shay and then complete, complete what my assignment was there. It helped complete her job because evidently she wouldn't have called me if she could have done it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Let's kick it into overdrive so we can go eat. Uh, Stephen, if you want to come. God created us to copy one another. I want you to think back to when he created Eve. Where did he get her? From inside of Adam. He basically copied Adam. He He just copied it. He pulled out of Adam. This is important. Pay attention. He pulled out of Adam. So this is what koinonia will do. Community will do. You will be able to pull out of the group that you were a part of. And you'll be able to duplicate or should be able to duplicate what's in that house. So wherever you are serving in a house, worshiping in a house... Like there should be some life-giving force there, some life-giving spiritual stuff happening there that God is going to reach inside of that house and pull it out and create new life in you. And so God created us to copy one another. That's the whole essence of discipleship is that what I am, you'll become. And what you are, I'll become. See, it's not all about me, you know. If you're ever part of a church like that, find a different church. When it's all about the guy or the woman up here, and it's like they got all the answers, because I'll be the first to tell you, I do not have all the answers. 
But when it becomes all about that guy or apostle or, pro or whoever, whatever they call themselves, when it's all about that person, no, I'm learning from you and you're learning from me. I add value to you and you add value to me. That's what koinonia does. And so the last thing is this, is, uh, well, let me read this scripture real quick. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be yoked, connected in other words, with unbelievers for what do the righteous and wickedness have in common? What does koinonia, what koinonia can light have with darkness? What fellowship, what participation, what community can light have with darkness? See, the enemy has koinonia too. My family, they'll be like, I'm telling you what, the church don't want me, but all my drunk friends do. I mean, we have to be careful who we are partnering with. Because you can say this, you can say, man, it's not affecting me. It's not affecting me. Hey, stop lying to yourself. Because the Bible says it is, and God's smarter than all of us. And the scripture says, bad company corrupts good character. You can lie to yourself all you want to, but the people you hang around with determine your direction. And that's just a fact. And if you need some, uh, some you know, more than just that as proof, Come sit down with me a little bit and let me go through my family line with you. It's not normal. Like my oldest brother would be, I guess, about 68. I've got another one that's 65. You know, but there were seven of us kids and three are dead. My brother right above me is dead. My sister right above him is dead. They would only be, I'm 54, they would, only, they would still all, I'm 53, about to be 54, but they would all still be in their 50s, except my oldest brother. Because their culture corrupted their character. I can give you some real life lessons. A lot of times people come and they don't know my history and so they're thinking they're, they're, they're uh, talking to this, you know, pretty whitewashed uh, outward appearance, you know, never had any exposure. Man, I come, by, I, I come from some rough, old, raunchy rednecks. Don't try to pull any, I see through that crap. I see right through that stuff. And I've lived it. I've lived it where people like, you know, it ain't going to affect me. It ain't, I mean, tell that to my three dead siblings. Yeah. Take that mess somewhere else. Because y'all remember that quote that I had last week where it said, your friends will stab you in the front. Wasn't that a great quote? If you weren't here, you're like, What? People will stab you in the back all day long. But a true friend will stab you in the front. He'll stab you face to face. What does that mean? Iron sharpens iron. True friends will share with you 
the truth, even if it stings, even if it hurts. And this is the last thing, be in covenant. God created us to be in covenant with one another. Um, to my knowledge, there's two people in this church. I won't call their names, but there's two people in this church that have told me, Pastor Rife, well, actually about maybe three. And they've told me, Pastor Rife, uh, God has called me to be in covenant community with you. And what does that mean? Well, that's another sermon for another day. But covenant community is that kind of community that we are always going to be in relationship together. We are always going to have an influence in one another's lives. We may not be where we are geographically all the same time. Today, um, my friend Quentin, many of you guys know him. Uh, we've invited them. I hope they come to our Friendsgiving. Um, he and Sierra and Anona, and they're soon to be, I forget his name, uh, but, you know, he's still in there. Um, but we've invited them to come be a part of our Friendsgiving today. Well, Quentin, um, you know, he used to be one of our worship leaders, and now he's at Resurrection Church across town. He's in covenant with me and Shay. They're in covenant with us. We're not in the same church this morning. He's ministering over there, and I just love hearing his stories of what God's doing over there. But we are in community and covenant community with one another. And that's what the world, God is looking for. And so many times the church does not get that idea of covenant. And throughout this series, over the next few weeks, we can explore it together. So say this with me, say it with me. God designed us for fellowship. In other words, he created us for koinonia. So this is how I want us to leave out of here today. I want you to evaluate your koinonia. Like evaluate your relationships. Evaluate your participation. Evaluate your contribution. Because if you hear and you hear as a sucker, you know what I mean by that? You just suck the life out of people. You just suck the life. You're just here to give, uh, get, get, get. You're just here to listen. Every one of us, every single one of us has been at a place in our life where we needed help. I tell this story where Shay and I, when we were poor, uh, young, and married and in college, and we were on welfare. Yep. Went down and... I don't know what they call it now, but we got our food stamps. Um, I don't know what they call it now. But you know what? We needed help. And we were not sucking the life out of our parents. We were paying for our own school. We were trying to do life the best we could, and we needed help. And I stand in front of you today, and I ain't even ashamed of it. Now, I was then. I ain't even going to lie. I was ashamed with it. I'd be like, baby, you going in and you, you get the grocery. I'm going to go pull the car around, you know. I ain't going to lie. I was. I had some pride. But as I matured, I'm like, you know what? We needed a hand up. We needed, we needed help. And I'm like, we used it for the time we needed it. But we didn't stay on it because somebody else needed it, you know. But I evaluate your koinonia. If you're just a taker, 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 no, you need to be a giver. 
evaluate the people that you're in fellowship with. Evaluate the frequency that you're in relationship with them. Because sometimes people call themselves friends and they're like, no, you're really an acquaintance. Because I don't know you like that. And listen, friendship, koinonia, does have its privileges. It does. So evaluate your koinonia. And then this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a step this week. You figure out, you're smart enough to figure out a step that you can take. Because if you've just been listening today and don't intend to do anything with it, um, you're never going to grow. So grow, grow into a deeper relationship with the Lord.